Welcome to our podcast series, How Bass Music Shaped British Society. Bass culture research seeks to re-examine the history of Jamaican sound system culture in Britain and how its legacy has revolutionised the musical landscape from the way we socialise to economy. In this series, we explore sound, business, culture, people, preservation and society with fruitful discussion. Man, if you know I support bass yeah man, I would like to say greetings to everyone in the music world. My name is Lyde Coxon. I was born in Cottage Pen, Jamaica, St. Thomas, on the 21st day of May, 1944. And have a good upbringing in Jamaica before I come to the UK. When you say good upbringing in Jamaica, you want to just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, well, my mother was a Seventh-day Adventist lady and we had to go to church there every, every Saturday. Our parents teach us that we are supposed to have respect and discipline to elders. If we are going on the road in Jamaica when we were young and we see big people coming, we have to say good morning, miss, or good evening, miss, or good morning, mister. Uh, good evening, mister. We couldn't do that. And if we are doing anything rude, people would go back and come tell our parents what we were doing. And when we get, go home, we would get a good hiding for what we were doing. So we had also have certain discipline growing up in Jamaica. So did you leave family in Jamaica? and come to a different family, or the family arrived first? What, well, my father and my brother was in England, and then they decided to send for me from Jamaica to join them here in England. When the, when the message come through my mom that my brother and my father wanted me to come to England, the first thing I said to her, no, I don't want to go to England, because in Jamaica, I had river to swim in, I have the sea to swim in, I have fruit, ripe banana, mangoes, sugar cane, everything. And I, I used to love cricket. I play cricket with my school friend. So I didn't really want to come to England and leave all of that behind. You understand? And then I loved my mom so much that I didn't think that I could separate from her for one minute. But um after a couple of years, I was proceeded by my mom to come, you know? So Was this about the better life that you could have, opportunities? Yeah, well, opportunities, you know, and things. But I, I think that the life that I was living in Jamaica was a, was a great one. I didn't know what I was coming to in England. You understand? So, I mean, I would have, I would have more secret to stay in Jamaica in what I know and was enjoying more than to come to England, a place that I don't know. You understand? That is... And, and I'm just curious because if you... What age do you, when this persuasion happened? Well, when I was about 15, 14, 15. Right. So you already into your music? Yeah. How, how I come into music in Jamaica, right? Is that um, I live in the country but half of my family live in the Kingston, into the town. So there are certain times 
when school give holiday, we would go and spend time with my uncle and my cousin in Kingston, a place called Maxfield Avenue. And then RJR Radio have a little radio fusion box that my uncle bought and he tied up into the house top. So we, that's where we used to get music and things. So from there I started to love music. Then RJR sent for a, a, a radio disc jockey from Canada named Charlie Babcock. And he was sweet. He was like sugar coming out of his mouth when he's on, you know? So from that we get to, to love, the, love the music. What genre? Eh? Well, it was mostly R&B those time, American R&B, and you know, some Calypso and you know, whatsoever, and our local music. So, around about this time, you know something has changed. You're going to go to the UK, yeah. and you have various anxieties about leaving Jamaica. Yeah. I'm just curious about that moment where you're kind of packing to leave. I wasn't someone who was excited to go to England from Jamaica. I was more excited to stay in Jamaica <laughs> because I, I was a good cricketer and I was going place playing cricket, you know. I just get the captaincy of my village. So how excited these things were, you know. I didn't want to leave it. My mom really tricked me to come to England. How? Well, when she see that, I blocked her out for two years, didn't want to hear about coming to England. And then she said that after I go to England, then she and my brother and sister would follow. After, so I said, okay then, since you're coming, I'll go. You understand? Mm. And um, then I find myself, on the 16th of October, 1962, my mom packed me off from the Palisades Airport, Kingston, Jamaica, and sent me to England. Um, when the plane ready to board, you know, and um, my mom come and she hugged me. She hugged me so tight that, like, she never want me to go, you know? And then everyone, start to cry, you know. I, I could feel, I was so nervous knowing that I'm going to leave my mom to go on that plane, to go to somewhere unknown to me, you understand? But I cried myself to sleep on the plane until I reached Gatwick Airport on the 17th of October, 1962. Here I am, England, I arrive. So you're leaving that excitement of Jamaican independence as well. That's right. And it's with, with Scar. Yeah, but Jamaica independence and thing, those things come under politics thing. We never have any mm. feelings with nothing to do with politics, you know? Our thing was about playing cricket, going out, going out with your school friend, going over people's property and picking mango and eating ripe banana. And, you know what I mean? That, that's what we're in. We're in the, to know politics thing. Right. Politics didn't interest us. You understand? So this might sound like an odd question now. You arrive at Gatwick. Yeah. Temperature. Cold. One of the worst winter. One of the worst winter. 1962. It was black with snow. 
when I see my dad and my brother waving to me when I was in after clear immigration, that is when I start to feel a little bit better. And then when I come out and see all this snow and thing, um, we take the train from Gatwick to East Croydon and change because I was going to live in Balham with my brother. And when we reached the Balham, it's so much snow, you know. I, I spend the night and the next day I wake up and I start to tell my dad that, listen, I want to go back to Jamaica immediately. I give my dad and my brother so much trouble for that week because I wanted to take the plane to go back to Jamaica that very week. I want to go back to Jamaica. There's nothing you saw that you liked? Nothing. Or could you like snow? <laughs> that block up everywhere, bus can't run on the road and thing, and I'm upstairs in the window looking down and people falling and skating all over and car trying to go down the street and skidding all over the place and I'm in the window looking and I'm saying, no, I want to go back to my Jamaica. When I wake up in the morning, I hear cock crowing and sunshine where I can go outside without shirt. I can go outside without having any shoes. You understand? That's the life I want. I didn't want this snow thing. I couldn't understand it. I mean, people don't realize, you know, the mental strain that you go through as a young boy to leave Jamaica, to come into England underneath these conditions, snow that you... It's nice to see snow for the first time, but it was so cold, you know what I mean, that it, it become a mental strain to come from one place like Jamaica that's so nice and to come into this kind of environment, you know? People my, my, don't... My brother arrived when he was 16. Yeah, Jamaica, yeah. People... Stayed in the house for a week. That's what I did. That's what I did. I stayed in my house almost a week or two. Didn't want to go out. So you arrived, you're mm -hmm. back with uh, your father. Yeah. Brother. Yeah. What happens in that first week? Well, the second week, because the first week... Well... Depressed. The first week, I was housebound because the snow was falling. Then next week, you know, brother take me to buy me a jacket and thing, you know. And then next couple of days, my father take me to buy me a pair of shoes. Now my father take me to Brixton from Balham to buy me a pair of shoes. And the pair of shoes that he bought me was one of those tough gang shoes that people would work with a wear to work on the building site. I'm saying rotted. I couldn't even wear it. So I'm saying my father is buying me a pair of shoes that I mean will serve me for the next ten years. <laughs> Do you understand? So eventually I couldn't wear it. But my brother was very good to me. Very kind, you know. And he's, my brother see that I wasn't loving it and he tried to do everything to cheer me up, you know. Then I get on my father's case. said, I want to go back to Jamaica to my mom. I don't want to stay here. And my father said, well, I don't have any money to send you back to Jamaica. You have to go and get yourself a job and then save your fear and go back to Jamaica. So, but, but you're what, 15, 16? Yeah, just going 17 now. So you're not going into school at this point? Or you're... No, I didn't do any school in England. 
I finished my school in Jamaica. So you know? straight into the workplace. So I come straight here into England and get for the my brothers take me to the youth exchange off Balamai Road to try and get me a job. Well, I've been going to the youth exchange for nearly six months and I can't get a job. And then the, the, the clerk who is looking after trying to find me a job, he's got four, four big box of ticket, of job ticket in there. So one day I go down and I really lost my cool, you know. And I say, how come can you have so much job ticket? Four boxes full of job ticket and you can't give me a job out of them. And he said, I can't. I said, why? I decided that he's got to tell me why I can't get one of those tickets for the day. And then when I get on his case now, <laughs> and he couldn't take some of my Jamaica fire that I start to pour out, right? He, he pulled out one of the, the card and said, I'm going to show you the reason why I can't send it. And the card mark NCP. And he pulled out a couple more and he said, all of them mark NCP. NC what NCP? What does that stand for? He said, no colored people. I was frightened. That's the first time I, I, I come up against racism in this country. And then he pulled out some from the other box over there and showed me NIP, no Irish people. Yes, well, I'm exchange. So, after the next couple of months, I go there one day, and then he said, okay, I have a little job to send you to. And he sent me to Southern Rail in Wandsworth Common as a porter, big hat, and you blow and send off the train, you know. I only did that job for one year. I did that job for one year, save up my money, and then build my first amplifier. So, during but, the time you got that job, sorry yeah. weekends, because as a 16-year-old, you're listening to music in yeah. Jamaica, yeah. you arrive in the UK, yeah. you're a bit depressed, yeah. but you're making connections in the well, community. Well, might be, I go too far, I should have told it. I'm living at 37 Balam Grove Road, and in front of my house, there's a big house, that have a basement, a man named Mr. Burton, he run a little weekend social club where West Indian people and Irish people, quite a few nationality, go there every Friday and Saturday they play domino, have a drink, play cards and thing. But they have a little small sound with two boxes and some record there. And the sound was called Queen of the West. So I used to just leave over my house with my brother and go over there. And that's the only little socializing I start to get. So while, while going there, they used to call it the Shubin. While going over there every weekend, I said to the man who was playing the song, his name is Roger, I said, can I spin a few tunes? And he said, yes, you can spin a few tunes, but you have to wait till my turn come to play the domino. So while he's playing domino, he give me a pile of record and say, play them same way like how I give it to you. So I, I start to play that and start to, it's first time I start to get a little enjoyment now 
Yeah, and I do that every week with him. And now, now that he see that I could play the thing, he, he start to play more domino, and then I start to get more playing, you know. And one day, the man for the place, Mr. Burton, he, he called both of us and he said, listen, people are saying that you are playing good, so I want you to play the liquor sound, and they want the man who was playing it, he sent him to, to run the bar. So I was there, two pound, give me two pound, pound a night. <laughs> I go there every Friday and sat down and played the liquor sound queen of the West, and he gave me two pound. And then after doing it for a time, I said to him, can you give me some more money? Because I'm young, giving me two pound, and more people start to come to the thing. And he decided that he wouldn't give me any more. So I went and tell my brother that, um, you know, I asked Mr. Burton for a little raise because he was only giving me two pounds to play the, the sound. And um, he, he decided that he's not going to give me anymore. So my brother, he's got a friend in Balaam that have a bigger sound than that sound called Skyrocket. So my brother said, okay, I'll ask my friend if he will take you on to come and help him, you know what I mean? So my brother went and asked Skyrocket if I could come, and he said, yes, he can come, but he won't get to play the sound as often as he's doing down there. Because the man for Skyrocket owner is a good selector. So obviously he's not going to move over to let me play, you understand? But at this point, you have the seed of the idea that you could be... That's right. Yes, I start to love selecting now. So what I would do, I would go around to Skyrocket House in the evening and learn the tune them that he have in his record box. You know, he allowed me to play them in his house until after months I get to learn most of the music in his box. So, but... He's a really bossy, bossy man, you know, really bossy, dress up and, you know, you see. So, I go and I help to load the van, help to string up the sound, help to load back the van into, the sound into the van and to take it back home. And even when I never get to play, it was okay because I was with the sound, you know. I, I was interested. But it also means that you had ambition, you were Yes. Yes, I decided that I wanted to be into the sound system business. And you're learning to select. And learning to select. And right? So we're now 1920-ish age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um Can I interrupt you and just ask, can you give me a typical playlist then? It's not there's not enough Jamaican music to play. Well no. Um but Skyrocket have have a few tunes, you know, like Dan Germans, you know. Derek Morgan, you know, Eric Monty Morris, um, Jimmy Cliff, you know what I mean? Soon like those, Roland Alfonso, um, Tommy McCook, you know, Ken Higgs, this kind of tune, you know, wasn't, wasn't much. When you have a good tune, you'd play about 10 songs and then you come back and play back the star song and the star song would rule most of the night, every time you play six tune, you come back and play back the star song, like Derek Morgan and Patsy have a tune named This Morning, 
when I wake up in my bathroom, that was top tune. So every time you play six of the tune, you come back and you play back that tune and the people dance the same way, you know what I mean? So there wasn't a lot of music, but we play what we had and the people really enjoy themselves because what that's happened? A, that's an important point. Yeah. How did the music come in at that point? Well, you have people coming from Jamaica, isn't it? To England, who would bring three singular, some would bring six, and you know, a lot of people would come and bring a little thing. And the sound man would know that this person come up and the first thing he'd go and he asks, you bring any music? And he say, yes, I have three songs that I bring, you know, and probably they don't want to lose that three song, but he would proceed them to lend it to him, you know? And that's where the, the whole thing developed until um, people start to send money to run this record company in Jamaica and to Caribbean company in Haring Street. They send money through the post and then the post would send back the record through the Royal Mail, you know what I mean? And, and, and things started to get better, you understand? Okay, so you're now 20-ish, you've been in the country three or four years. Yeah, yeah. You've moved, you've got a job at yeah. the station and you're selecting and life is a little bit better. Yeah, but start to settle down. I start to settle down a little bit better when I started to play with the little sound, Queen of the West, till I got to Skyrocket. But um, I have a problem with Skyrocket now. After being with Skyrocket for a little while, I have a problem with him because he's such a bossy man. What happened? He was giving me five pound. So I'm getting three pounds more than what I used to get to play Queen of the West. But the problem that I have with him, whenever he's going to pay me that three, that five pounds, he wait till when he, he and his lady friend was drinking at the bar, he called me up like a little boy and just draw the five pounds and give me. I don't know if he wanted to show them that he was paying me. You understand? And I didn't like that. Because, I mean, I come from Jamaica as a youth, but I was, was well sensible. And I'm saying to me, that is very embarrassing to me. Please, when you're giving me five pounds, don't wait until you're drinking with your lady friend at the bar and give it to me. That's downgraded to me. I don't like that. And he keep doing it. So I decide to leave. So I leave and build my own liquor sound called Lies the Matador. Right? And um, those days you have sound like Sir Goodens playing in Battersea. In Brixton you have Safrana B. You have Savoy in Brixton. You have Duke Lee in Brixton. You have CB the Cool Fool in Brixton. Brixton hosts a lot of sound. And then you have big sound from Peckham named Neville, the musical enchanter. One great sound. So all these sound are playing. But I bring Skyrocket in Southwest London as to be one of the best sound. And when you say the best, in terms of the audience, what size audience? Good audience. We would full three rooms. And we used to play in a hall in Balham called Sistover Hall, upstairs and downstairs. Whenever we have anything, they would full that. So that means we were doing fairly well, you know. And um, had a lot of bookings on weekends and Saturday night, you know what I mean? There's, Where we play out. things you just want to, in terms of details, five pounds back in the day, how, how valuable was that? 
Well, five pounds was valuable because five pounds was five pounds more than what you, you, you'd have, you know what I mean? So um, you have to satisfy with that, you know what I mean? Until, <laughs> and, until better men come. That's what you understand? No, but I mean, could you do your weekly shopping? Well, as I said, my brother was very good to me. My brother had a good job, so he would buy everything. He would buy me clothes, shoes, anything, you know, so I could keep my five pound for myself. What I want, what I try and did with my five pound is to save three, three pound out of my five pound until when it reached a certain amount of money, I would post it to my mom. Because although I was here, I still know that things wasn't that good in Jamaica. So I always wanted to send something. So from those days, I started to save and buy a postal order and send it to my mom, you know, because my brother allowed me to keep it. You understand? And that's, again, really important because you're saving money. Some of that money helped build the system. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when I built my first system is when I went to the, the railway and I worked for one year. I saved up all my money for that year and built my first amplifier and built my first sound called Lies the Matador. You understand? Matador. It's just a name that we take from a sound in Jamaica. You know what I mean? And true, he was Lied the Matador, and my name is Lied. It was easy, you know, Lied the Matador. And I did well with Lied the Matador. I come and I conquer the whole of South, South London, even, even skyrocket that I leave his zone. I become even better than him, because I was a selector. The people follow me as a selector now, you see? So after having Matador now, I went to play on a, a party in Clapton Junction with the sound matter, my own sound. And this party was a whole year and New Year's party. It starts on the whole year and it's going to end the end of the New Year. So they call it whole year and New Year party. Some people from Trinidad, lady named Aunt Vi, she keep it every year. So she get me to play. So I have a lot of Jamaican friends and friends from Barbados, friends from, friends from all around the island. And I have a lot of English friends as well now. You understand? So, while I string up in the party and playing, when it come nine o'clock at night, the party was so full that no one else from outside couldn't come into the party. So when most of my friends and other people from the Caribbean come to the party now, they couldn't get in. So people start to force their way in, you know. And then you have some people in there trying to stop them because the place couldn't hold any more people. And then a big fight, a big fight burst out. I was playing at the window and somebody fling a brick through the window and the glass chopped me up, chopped up my face, you know. And amplifier smashed to pieces. It was a mini riot. Amplifier smashed to pieces. Right? Carry it home and I threw it down. Now, didn't have any money now to fix it back because that, I used all the money that I saved to, to build it. And I didn't start to earn anything much where I could go. So that's it. the year of the party. you remember the year? Well, I'll say when.
around 65, you know? 65 coming down. Coming up. Yeah, that. around that okay. time, yeah. So I'm at home now, not playing out because sound, the sound is completely smashed. And then you used to have a big sound, next big sound in Balaam by the name of Jew Creed. Some of my friends them used to follow Jew Creed and they would come and follow me as Matador also. But when Matador fall up now, I'm at home not doing anything. So my friends them, they wanted me to go and play Jew Creed. Because everybody knew I was a good selector now. And I refused. I said, I'm not going to play Jew Creed. I'm going to wait until I get some money and set up that matador. Well, one Sunday morning I was at home, and when I look, I see about six of my friends coming down my door. I have a little step where I live downstairs. When I look through the window, I see about six of my friends and Mr. Reed <laughs> coming down to my doorstep, and they ring and I let them in and they said, listen, we want you to come and play Jew Creed sound. And we then we have a meeting and we talk, you know, and you know those guys are my friends. They persuaded me, you know, to come and play Jew Creed sound. So I forget about Matador now and I went and played Jew Creed sound. Bring Jew Creed sound to one of the biggest sound in South London, challenging North London now. I have some good sound in North London already. Count Shelley, Sir Fanso, Sir Dees, all these sound are big sound, Juke Roy. They are from the North and we are from the South. And in terms of boxes now, because we look at a sound and say, yo, the number of boxes, the size of the boxes, what, and the posse. Yeah, well. Give us some idea. Well, you, you, you build your capacity of boxes according to the, the type of amplifier that you have. You understand? Some people build big boxes because they can afford it. And some people build small boxes to where your finance allow you to go. You understand? And sometimes some people build a big amplifier case, big like that. But there's nothing in it, just a little small. But they have a lot of light on it and it, it look like, you know, it look impressive. A lot of lights and things, you understand? And things. So anyhow, I went and played Jew Creed Sound. Bring Jew Creed Sound to one of the biggest sound ever in South London. Challenge, start to challenge everyone, you know? First time I bring it to Brixton, the, the party lasts two days. Two night in Brixton, Jew Creed Sound. But um, I'm going to show you how I'm going to leave Jew Creed Sound now. Neville Enchanter Sound was a great sound, come from Peckham. He was playing in the Bedford Arm in Balham, but he had a row with the management and he left. So they come and book Jew Creed to do the job instead now. So Jew Creed was now playing in the Bedford Arms. I was a selector, but those days, nine o'clock, sun is still shining. So while the sound went down there to string up, I was on the common playing cricket with my friends. So when I leave Tootingbeck Common and come down to the pub as a selector, 
While I was going upstairs, two white men grabbed me up and started arresting me. And I'm telling them, I'm the selector. And they said that, they said, you're telling lying that the selector and me and them catch a fight. So, you know, blow start to, blow start to rain. Them raining blow on me and I raining back blow on them because I, I come from Jamaica, I can fight. Because when you go to school at Jamaica, you have to learn to can fight, you know. <laughs> so I rain back blow up on them and things. What I didn't know, I didn't know that, that, that there were two police officers. So, after I played the sound and the dance was finishing, I see a lot of blue light outside and a lot of excitement, police outside. So me and Mr. Reed, everybody was saying to me that the police had come for me because this was police. I was fighting. I didn't know that they were police. So I, said, I, I started to change my jacket with someone, you know, so that they would recognize me and said to Mr. Reed, me and you are going to bring the amplifier down to the van, and when we carry the amplifier down to the van, I will make my way and go away. But as we bring the amplifier down, the policeman recognized me, and he grabbed me and said, Ah, you fucking nectar, you know? Grabbed me up and carried me down to Tootingbeck Police Station and plant me with a machete. Yeah. The policeman planted me with a machete. I remember the policeman's name until today. The policeman's name is P.C. Salter. Right, bastard? Yeah. He planted me with a machete and carried me to court, knowing that I never have that weapon. So, my only way now of help is Mr. Reed, because Mr. Reed said that I changed my jacket and I didn't have anything. All I was just my shirt and trousers, because I changed, give somebody else my jacket. So, I got to court the first day in Balamai Road, and the case put off, and the judge said that I must bring my evidence, the person who is going to give witness for me, evidence for me. And I go round to Mr. Reed and beg him, say, Mr. Reed, please, can you come round to the court and give evidence for me? Because Mr. Reed only live round the road. He didn't have to drive, he just walked come round to the court, Balamai Road. Second time I got to court, Mr. Reed don't turn up. The judge warned me now, he said, if you come back to court the next time and you don't bring your witness, this case is going to try. We can't afford to put it off anymore. So the next time, the night before I go to court, I went down to Mr. Reed, sit down with him, beg him. I said, please, use my only evidence, you know. You know I didn't have anything. Please come to court and tell the judge to me. And he promised me so much that he'll be there the next morning. The next morning when I go to court, I keep looking out everywhere. No, Mr. Reed. He never turned up. And the judge started to try the case now. So he's not putting it off anymore. And the judge, I remember the judge said, can I see exhibit one? Exhibit one is the machete that PC Salter plant me with. And they push it in front of the judge. And um, the judge said, any man who can afford to have a weapon like this in a public place can afford to go to prison. And give me six months. 
he gave me six months for a machete that I didn't have because I, I never walk with weapons, much less to carry a long machete like that with me. Where am I going with that? And just to be clear, Mr. Reed knew the seriousness. He knew the Mr. Reed knew the seriousness of the case. Because I go and tell him that they, um, they charged me for a, a machete that I didn't have. And say, so you know that I didn't have it. Because you and I brought the amplifier downstairs and you see I changed my jacket. All I had was me have on my shirt and my trousers because it was summer. It's not that I have a big coat hiding the weapon under my coat or nothing. And he didn't turn up. He met me get six months. And while I was doing that six months, he didn't even write me, never come and visit me, nothing. So I'm saying to myself now, doing six months in Brixton Hill Prison, I said, in Jamaica, there are two big sound systems. One by the name of Joe Creed, and one by the name of Sir Coxon. I said, when I come out of this prison, I'm going to build back my sound, and I'm going to call it Sir Coxon, and go and lick off Joe Creed head. And then the, the rest is history. But when I look at it today, I said, but everything worked for me in a positive way. Because if Mr. Reed had come to court, might be I'd be still playing his sound today. But because he didn't come to court, I ended up building my own sound. And you know, it worked out in a positive way for me. And then the rest is history. So there's a point where religion comes into this. When I'm talking religion, I say Rastafari yeah. comes into this because that prison experience must have been hard. It was hard. It's the first time I've ever got to prison. I didn't. I, I'd never hope in my life that I would reach at a place like that. You understand? I didn't hope that I would ever reach there. You know. I was a shame man, but I mean, I know that I reached there because the policeman was dishonest. That's why I reached there. You understand? I didn't have any weapon. I am not a person who carry no weapon whatsoever, much less to have a machete in, on me. You understand? So, yeah, that policeman is a wicked. And in terms of family, because I'm and this will take us into the sound system family. Mm. Uh, there's your brother, there's your dad, there's Mr. Reed who let you down. Mm. Um, but you focused on a Jamaican sound system for the second time for the title. Yes. As though that is the roots, that is the reference. Because um, Drew Creed and Sir Cox and these sound, they were the big sound in Jamaica. We all know about them. Right? So in England, Every sound man who build a sound in England name it off of a sound that play in Jamaica. You understand? We carry on, we take the name from the sound name that was playing in Jamaica and name our sound in England the same thing. Like me, I, I, I take the name from Sir Cox and Dad and use it here in England. But then you have to live up to that name. You have to live up to that name, yes. I went. What was the challenge in living up to that name? Well, you have to build up your sound, you know, to be good. Because there was so much good sound, you know what I mean? You have to be good. 
You have to search for music. You have to have good amplifiers. You have to build good speaker boxes because they're the guys that out there, they're not joking. So if you want to, to be known, you have to make effort. Well, I'm just curious because you're coming out of prison. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming you don't have the money to just... No, but what happened... I did have, I, I took all my record that I used to have and put it on True Creed sound. So when I come back, I go back and get back most of my records from him and start to build on that. You understand? And then I have a friend named Glenn. He had, he had a sound and I used to borrow a piece of his amplifier to get to start up my thing, you know what I mean? So there was a sharing amongst the sound? Yeah, 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 people you could borrow things from. Even when I built up my sound as coxswain, other sound men who was playing what was short of a box or a piece of amplifier, I would lend them a amplifier or a couple of boxes. I hardly lend my, my music. I don't like to lend my music, but I would lend you two speaker boxes and a piece of amplifier to go and play your thing, you understand, and you know. So, so when you say the rest is history, it's actually a big history. Well, um, yeah, when I come out of that prison and build my sound, Sir Cox and sound, I said the rest is history because I went on to, to be successful from there, you know what I mean? And that is difficult in a time when there is multiple sound systems all trying to be topped. There is more, every sound was good. Most sound is good. But I was determined, you know. I was one determined person. I would drive to every shop in North London and every shop in Brixton buying records. When I play out and I get a little money, that just go back to, into the little sound, Coxon sound to develop it up. Until one day, someone in Gerard Street that I know had a little club in Gerard Street and it said, come and play some music for me. And that's the first place that I print something for, as Coxon. It's Gerard Street. It's a little basement club where people go and dance, you know, hippie, hippie people taking pep pill and blues and they're dancing. And, but, I didn't take none of those things. I just go on two speaker boxes down there and it's full every Friday night until start to play Saturday night and it start to get full Saturday night and I, I keep moving on, you know, but this from would there. this probably the first sound system in the West End? No, no. You have other sound systems. You have Jukevin. Jukevin is one of the first sound systems here in England. And you have... Count Suckle. Count Suckle is the first sound system to go into the West End of Carnaby Street, a club called the Rowing Twenties. One of, one of the, the, the greatest club, you'd say, where um, black and white people start to, um, to learn to, to dance Jamaica music together. You understand? It was, it was a multiracial club where everyone go. And so the music in this club would reflect 
the audience. Yeah, the music in the club was a assorted selection where they would play American R&B with Jamaica ska, ska music, until it come to Rocksteady. This, this is what they play. The first time I hear James Brown is in the ruined twenties. I hear Consucker playing James Brown and you know. So, so you attending? I used to go there as a youngster. I used to go there to the ruined twenties at night. Me and my brother and his friend go there and listen. Count Sucker playing. And um, yeah, Count Sucker play a lot of R and B mixed with local ska and, and rock steady, you understand? And a lot of American from the base used to go there as well. And that's where I see a lot of black people and white people start to socialize big time and start to dance hippie, start to come there. So I learned that. So when I went to the West End, I know how to play in the West End. So I built up Coxon Sound big. There's a club in Brixton named the Ram Jam. I played at the Ram Jam until Count Suckle left Rowing Twenties in the West End and built his own club in Parade Street called Q Club. So they were search the owner of the club now was searching for a good sound to full count circle shoes, but that wasn't easy. So you had Juke Vin, went to the Rowing Twenties. He couldn't stay because um, the selection wasn't right. You have Juke Lee, went there. He left because the selection wasn't right. Right, you have D. Eunice, went to the row in twenties. He couldn't stay because he couldn't pull the crowd because he didn't learn the style of playing. And they, they brought Juke Reed now. They brought Juke Reed, the fourth sound, to the row in twenties. So while Juke Reed was playing in the row in twenties, I get a job in the next club round the road at Derby Street called the Paradise. And while I was at the Paradise playing, nobody would go to the Rowing Twenties. I used to take away all the crowd from the Rowing Twenties. And the Rowing Twenties was, was a bigger club from where I was. But my club would pop to the road. So the manager of the Rowing Twenties, he decided that I am having too much crowd down there, so he wanted me to come to his club. So he sent send his bunks up one night for me. So he wanted to speak to me. And I went round to the room. But the Rowing Twenties was the number one job for sound system. Every sound wanted to go there. While I was playing in Derby Street, Paradise, I wanted to go around there, you know. You understand? So when the call come and I went, he said to me that, you know, he's a, he's a Jew man. Name is Lenny Western. Good man, he said. I'm putting my card on the table. And tell you, my front room is not making any money. And I need somebody to come in here who can make it make some money. So you are doing good round here, so I'm going to give you a try. He said, next week, Wednesday, I'm going to give you a try round. And I said, no, I wouldn't come next week, Wednesday. You'd have to give me three weeks where you print something and we advertise it that I was coming. So he said, okay. 
So I print something and we give out. When I went back and tell the owner for the Paradise Club that I was going to go to the Rowing Twenties, he said, no. He said, take all the money from the gate. Because I was doing well, he's a restaurant and bar, everything was full every night. He said, okay, Coxon, you take all the money from the door and I will run the bar and thing. Don't go, don't go around there. But I wanted us to go around there, because it was the best job. Anyhow, the first Wednesday night when I reached there, by two o'clock, you couldn't come inside there. It was ram to the door. When the owner, Mr. Lenny Western and his son and his friends, when they come to the club, he couldn't get from over there to over here to me. The bunks, I have to push them and bring him over. And I could see him when he come and stand up where I was. He look up in the air and he, and he, and he laugh. And he said, stop the music. <laughs> he said, tell these people that from tonight, tomorrow night, and every night you are here. <laughs> understand? So I get the job at the Rowing Twenties. I stayed there for five years, seven nights a week. Because I understand how to play there. You understand? I used to go to HMV, Oxford Street, and buy a lot of soul tune and mix it just like how I knew it was, you know? So I could stay there, you know? And I developed there very good. But that means that you had a different understanding of how to connect with the audience. But you have to. You have to, and you have to know how to play, how to play a record, you know what I mean? You have to know how to select record because it was a multiracial club. People from all different country that visit the club. So you can't play one thing too long. You have to be playing a little of everything going around like you're on a clock going around. You understand? And what kind of, what, what's, what's our timeline now? What year would you say this is? Roughly? Um, Early 70s? 71 coming down, 72, 73. Yeah, around there, so. Around so you're that playing the best music in central London? I am. I am. And it means that you probably have an international audience. It was an international audience. I mean, people coming in. It was an international. Because you have people like Rolling, Rolling Stone, Mick Jagger. You have um, some football people. And you have a lot of big people from the West End that come in to the club. But, but they're not coming knowing that it's Cox. No, they just come to the enjoy themselves because the Rowing Twenties was the club in Carnaby Street. You understand? There was nothing of its kind in the West End. But this is now and, steady. Yeah. And the reason why a lot of people from outside of the West End, when they come to the Rowing Twenties, they feel like they have a night out because they went to the city. You understand? The club is in the city, so they, they're coming from Brixton, Balham Round. When they went into the West End, yeah, they went into the West End to have a night out. That's, that's big. But would, when you say big, they're going up market. Of course, yeah, up market, man. So sound system was up Because you're coming from, we're coming people dancing in basement mm. and small place, and then you get a chance to go to the, the West End of London. Immaculate. And in the Rowing Twenties on a Sunday night is like a fashion night. 
Nobody come to the Rowing Twenties on a Sunday night without your suit and your tie and, you know, you see people really are tired, look really good, you know what I mean? So here's a question, as a sound man, how, how do you dress? Me? Back then. I have to dress good as well. I have to dress good as well. Because, I mean, dressing good re demands respect also. You understand? I couldn't make the people come into my club look smarter than me. I have to look smart like them as well. You understand? So we, we, we learn the thing and then we, ad we, we adapt to it. You know what I mean? Like certain night, like Sunday night, you, when we're going to the Rowing Twenties, you know, we put we tie on and we suit because everybody's going to come tie in a suit. Wednesday night, you're more casual, but good casual. You know what I mean? So different night, people dress different way, you know what I mean? You know, but, but what's interesting about that, if you said to certain people, sound man dress in suit whilst playing sound, yeah. they'd go, no. No, you have to. All depends on, 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 on the place that you're playing. You understand? There's even certain job that we get when we go to play on that job, we have to go with a suit and looking good. It's when people book it to go and play on a wedding reception, how are you going to go? Go there in your jeans? You can't go there in your jeans. You have to go and look attired, you know what I mean? Look, look good so that you're not letting down the people who keep the, the function, you know what I mean? And at this time, is there a posse surrounding the sound? Yes, and even the people that surround the sound, you tell them, you know, that everybody have to look good tonight, you know, because uh, we, we're going to do this. So we'd, we'd like everybody to do this. Like some place that you'd play and they said they don't want any trainers or certain thing, you know, so you'd make your, your audience know that. You see, although we, we have the sound, we're still responsible for the people that follow us to give them a direction in which way they're supposed to go. It's not just having the sound. It's like the sound system now, like take for the microphone. The microphone is one of the most powerfulest thing on a, on a sound system because it can create problem right in five minutes. Do you understand? And it can stop it in five minutes as well. So when I'm playing and someone come and say, can I have a talk on the mic? The first thing I ask him, what are you going to talk, sir? I want to know what you're going to talk about before I give you that mic. And you see, if I give you that mic to, to speak and you speak something that I don't like, I switch you off. Because it's control. You have a next thing like, if someone give me a job and I go and I see, it's a basement where it's one way in and one way out, I wouldn't take that job. Because I said, this is dangerous to carry my sound into a place where there's just one way in and one way out. And I'm going to carry the people who follow me down into that dead trap. So I wouldn't do it. So there's a responsibility that we have, the people who own the sound system, we have a responsibility for the audience that follow us to make sure that we try and steer them from out of danger also. You understand? And with that responsibility, there's respect. There is respect, yeah. Well, so you commanded that respect. If you are doing anything and you don't have the respect, it won't work. You have to 
create that respect around around it that people would know that no, if you do this coxing is not gonna like that. It's gonna vex, but it is for the the good of the people why you have to be that way. You understand? Well, we, I'm not going to mention any names, but we interviewed uh, another sound man who uh, went to, quote, the Coxon School. Yeah. And he said one of the things he learned was respect. That's the first thing. So if you're the person administering this respect, where did that come from? Well, as I say, that is from a background, from a mother, going to church in Jamaica with my mother and as I tell you earlier on that she teach you that you have to respect the elders. So we, we grow with, I grow with that respect. I never grow out of that respect. It's like Seventh-day Adventists in my house, we never eat pork, we never eat nothing in shell, we never eat fish without scale and believe you me, I lived that way until this very day. Never touched none of those things. So, would you describe yourself as a Rasta? I am a Rasta. I like Rasta doctrine because I think that Rasta is who can solve a lot of things. True. Rasta is always saying peace and love. Right? You have all different kinds of nationality and Muslim everybody. They are about war and things. The Rasta people are always telling you about peace and love. And Rasta people demand respect. Because if you come among Rasta people and you're doing something that they think is not right, they tell you. They say, move from here. We, we don't have that. You understand? Mm. And then I grew up, I grew up, um, we, 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 we are chant down Babylon, right? Like Coxon song, we are chant down Babylon. The system put so much pressure on us that we find tune to play against them. Chant down Babylon tune. So that's why we, people speaking about roots and culture today, it is Coxon who developed this roots and culture. Because we play music against the system. You understand? Did you refer to it as roots and culture? Of course, it is roots and culture. And we play a tune about Marcus Garvey, we play a tune about Paul Bogle, we play a tune about Free Nelson Mandela. You understand? We play this kind of music. And this kind of music is against the establishment. So, you know what I mean? That they are roots and culture. Of course, and everybody follows. Today, if you listen, everyone, everyone is talking about roots and culture. Where it come from? It's Coxon Sound who created roots and culture. Can you no? say something about the importance of bass in this Yeah, well, bass, you have to have bass. I mean, like Coxon Sound is the first sound to play stereo in this country. We play bass, mid, and top that if you switch the bass off, you'd only get the mid and the top plane. And if you switch the bass and the mid off, you'd only get the high top plane. So that's stereo. You, you, you only used to get stereo and stereo equipment that play in your house. Right. But we come and we, 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 we bring big bass amplifier, 
big mid amplifier, big tamper amplifier, play bass mid amplifier. We do all these things first, and everyone follow. Coxon is the first sound to put two 18-inch speakers into one box. And everybody say, oh, that's waste of speaker. But you see, when we're playing with them, and that start to lick, they realize now that it's different. You have someone going to build one box now with three, and the next man going to build one with four. You understand? So we done all the things, most of the things first, and then the rest of people follow. But I'm saying, if you are doing something and people are not follow, don't follow you to do it, that means it doesn't value. When they follow me to do it, I know that it is valuable. But where does the insight, the, the thinking, the knowledge comes from to say, okay, we're going to put two speakers? Because that's ingenuity. That's yeah, well, sometimes these things just come out of the blue, you know, it's a thinking, you know. You've got the sound and you just think that, oh, I'm going to try this. You just get up one day and you decide to try something. Because one thing with the sound, it keeps you alive, you know. You have to keep trying different things. You can't just have the one thing there. You have to keep adding different little things, you know. And you go outside and you hear a little piece of equipment making this funny noise and you say, oh, but that's good. So I'm going to get it and put it on the thing and try, you know what I mean? I'm a person, if I go out and hear a next sound playing and using a piece of equipment that is good, I will go out and get one. I'm not going to say because you have one, I'm not going to get it. I'll go and get it because it's good. You know? And I never go out and hear a next sound playing and playing good and criticize. I always come back and say, I listened to that sound playing last night and he's very good. You understand? So. That makes the cocktail sound very enterprising. It is. But very disciplined. And well. the trouble is, to have a good sound, you have to have a good amplifier builder that you work with, and you have to have a good team. Because a sound system is like a library, you know. People go to the library to read good books, and people come to the sound system to hear good music. So it's, it's, it's like a library, you know. It's a drawing center where people come to. So when people come, you have to be prepared. But you're selecting the people at the core of this team. So this speaks to the type of person that you are. Yeah. Um, and what I'm just curious about, curious about, because we've not mentioned this at all, is so far the only female mentioned is your mom. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what other female input there was around this development of well, the sound and even the, even the Well, listen, policy. I have my girlfriend. Hmm. But what we do, we never in, involve our women into the sound business. More that they come and support you, come to the dance and support you, right? I created a team of people. Mark, I don't call anyone and say, you must come to the sound. You know. People find themselves to the sound. And when they come to the sound, after seeing all their profile, you can know that, yeah, this guy have the brain for it, you know. You can see that this guy have the brain for it, so automatically he come into the team. Then the first thing you teach the team is that when we go and play into people's place, make sure nobody take away anything from there. 
Do you understand? Uh, because if anyone take up anything from the people place, we won't be able to go back there and play again. So we teach that to the people who's on the sound so that we don't have any problem, you know what I mean? Because you know people would go somewhere and see people have a piece of amplifier or speaker over there and they'll take it away. So we teach our team not to do that. And then when you get into the song, we teach a color code. We teach a color coding that red to go on red, black to go on black, yellow to go on yellow. You understand? You have new people who join the song. Yeah, but we have certain people in the sound that when the sound string up, even if you go and put on the wire, he's going to come round after to make sure that who put it on did put it on right. See? And you have people in the, the team in the dance, when you're playing, if a speaker down there stop playing, someone jump up there and do it because you're in the team, you know what I mean? But this sounds military. No, it's not military because I... I was not governor. I was just one of the men in the sound. We have meeting, you know. We have regular meeting every month. And people tell me all kind of bad word and thing. And I tell them all kind of bad word and thing. And that's it. Fiery meeting. Because you'd say to somebody, oh, you played the sound like fool last week. Or you nearly met that man beat we or something, you know what I mean? And you never fix this and... We have meeting, you have to have meeting to speak about the thing, right? Like something happened around the sound, you have a meeting to find out why this thing happened and to make sure that it don't happen again. But so, this again, this sounds, doesn't sound like you're describing the average sound. No. Well, maybe that's why we were successful, because we did this thing. We keep meeting and speak about things that didn't go right and things that we could do to improve. You understand? And to think that the selection, that play and that dance wasn't 100%, you know, could show the selector where it was falling down. And we can tell him that you play this tune and you play that and you shouldn't play this tune after that. And You understand? How did the sound escape London? So there's, there's the rest of the UK now. Yeah. Right, so the sound is famous in London. There's almost a guaranteed audience will turn up. People know who the Cotsley sound is. Yeah. How does that move out of London? Well, we move because um, we don't get to play in one place forever. Like when we leave the row in 20s in the West End, we end up in Dalston Lane into Club Four Aces. See? So we play in different places for a period of time. But how do you get the and tell it, well, people come and book you. I mean, people know that Coxon Sound is a top brass sound. They would let everybody want me to come over to their place. So you choose where you go. You understand? And some people try to boost you out of this club to carry over their club. You understand? So when I leave Rowing Trenches, we go to Club Four Races. I play into a lot of clubs. I play into the Flamingo on Wardour Street. I used to play in the Flamingo every Thursday night. I meet all the American artists like Wilson Pickett, Carla Thompson, Rufus Thomas. I meet all of those artists in the West End because they, they were rehearsing on a Thursday. When I'm coming in to, to string up on a Thursday to play, they were rehearsing. 
So sometimes we have to wait until they finish rehearsal before we, we used to have a every Thursday night in the Flamingo, Wardo Street. We play 100 Club, Oxford Street, and a couple Friday night gigs. And we play all around and then we left and we got to we play in Georgian. We were the, we were the most successful sound system playing in any club we go. We made it success. We made a success of it. So would it be fair to say that Parkson was the most successful central London sound system or West End sound system? How would you put that? I would say the most successful sound system in the West End of London was Count Suckle. And I would say the second most successful sound system in the West End of London is Sir Coxon sound. Because Count Suckle, he made it. He made the platform, he made the platform that Coxon could go and stand up. After. He created the first sound system ever to play into the West End, the city of London. So he left that platform that we could come and stand on. Who's standing on Coxon's platform now then? Well, Lady Coxon. Lady <laughs> <laughs> Coxon is standing on Coxon. I mean, my team that I used to have is what one of the greatest sound system team ever. To string up the sound in 10 minutes, the sound would come out of the truck and string up and thing. But as time go by, people get bigger. The men them around the sound start to have their own family, you know, and um, have their own idea to do different things. So everybody automatically go their own different ways, do their own thing. One of the time I, 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 hand down, I took the sound out of London and took it to um, Wolverhampton. And regi resident in Wolverhampton for three years, Club 67, success. And then I leave there, Wolverhampton, and come back to London. I was 15, 15 years, Sir Coxon sound number one sound here in England, 15 years straight. No, I remember Wolverhampton. Yeah, until I start to get tired and decide to go to Jamaica to spend some time now. And then I hand over the sound to the, young, the younger team. That's when the sound start to, to go downhill. You what understand? You that, well, you know, you don't plan these things to happen, you know. But these things does happen. You know what I mean? I mean, if I never and over Sir Coxon sound to the younger team. I would last up until today. You understand? And even I had, to, I had was to go back and take it back. That's why I'm here doing it same way. Every day I decide that I'm going to retire, but the telephone ring to somebody wanted to come and do something else. You know what I mean? So it's, if, if, if we look, sorry to jump in, 2017, yeah. Today, right? And you're looking back now. Certain people say that sound system was absolutely critical to introducing reggae to the population. It is because we are the sound system who play ska, rock steady, and reggae. 
Because remember, the radio station wasn't playing any reggae. We are the one, we the sound system, we forced these big major radio stations to start to play reggae. We forced them to, right? Because they, they wasn't playing none. Remember Tony Blackburn and, um, and Radio Caroline? He, he said reggae was rubbish. So he made us stronger to play this thing to let him see that it wasn't rubbish. Do you understand? We are the one who persevere, you know, with, reggae, with, with, with the reggae. We are coming from rock steady to ska, to every time the music change, we are still there. We are the forebearer, and we never give up. But here's the other thing, then. Looking back from today, the audience has changed. Yeah, the audience has changed because you wouldn't, I mean, I'm playing to four generations. I'm playing to one generation, two generation, three generation, 2017, four generation. What does that audience look like in 2017? It's a different ball game in 2017. Remember, now his turntable is gone out of the way, it's a CD business. I mean, we have a thing now where people talk about some people love valve amplifier and some love transistor. We come to the end now where peep, some people love CD and some people still love vinyl, you know what I mean? I mean, first time you couldn't tell me that I could put away my valve amplifier to go and use transistor. I would run you away. You understand? The first white man that I asked to build me a amplifier, his name is Bill. I go to him and say, Mr. Bill, can you build me a 100 amplifier, 100 watt amplifier when I was in Balaam? He said, get out of this place. Where are you going with that? He said, do you know that the cinema on Balaam High Road is 10 watt? Where are you going with 100 watt? <laughs> I would like to see him today to show how him. Big, how big is it today? What, what size do you play with today? Me? 6,000, 2,000. 3,000, all depends on the capacity of the space. 